Okay, good afternoon. It's good to be back. Sorry, I didn't have water for you, or tissue. Yeah, if I can get a tissue, that'd be great. I um, Yeah, it's good to be back. How can I went away this weekend? Um, just to um, really recharge. Sorry, it's not the most graceful thing ever. Wiping <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, your nose in front of the crowd. Amazing. <laughs> but as I was worshipping now, I... Um, Standing at the back, and you know when you want the Holy Spirit to come, like you want Him to be in the meeting, and uh, I was just going, "Come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come!" And uh, I feel like He rebuked me because He said, "Who are you commanding to do anything?" I was like, "You, okay?" He's like, "Approach me in humility, and I come." And I did. I was like, "Jesus, I'm so sorry." I'm not here to command you to do anything. And I just got down on my knees and I was like, I'm crying, sorry. I just said, please help. Because I need you. And I felt his Holy Spirit. In all humility, I just said, God, I need you to come. Holy Spirit, I need you to come. I'm not going to command you to do anything. And he's amazing. He really is. So, that's why I was crying. <laughs> Sometimes God has to remind us who he is. And he doesn't come at our beck and call because he's God. And we are just people. So, um, this afternoon I wanted to teach on something. And we've been doing a little bit of a thing on signs and wonders. So, Julian preached on healing. I wasn't here, unfortunately. I heard it was excellent. And I, heard it was, I just heard it was awesome. People were getting healed and people were coming for prayer. And it was just a great time. And then Ndaba preached the week after that. And he preached on love. And I wanted to pick up a little bit on this thing of signs and wonders and how they appear in the Bible. Okay, and today I want to talk about something that I think has been neglected in maybe this church and in the church in general. Because we love to talk about things like prophecy and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And those things are incredible, right? They're incredible. Next week we are actually going to do something on the prophetic. We're going to have a prophetic team come in and, and actually and prophesy over people, right? It's an amazing thing. And it's always amazing when, when, prof, when prophets come and there's prophecy, right? Okay. Chantal's hands. <laughs> but today I want to talk about something that I feel is a little bit more neglected. And it's one of those things that, one of those words that I feel are spoken in like a softer tone. You know when you're having a conversation with people, someone, you go, hey, did you hear so-and-so was on we all do it, right? And is it, you don't want to say the word loud because it's a bit like... And I feel like the topic I want to preach on tonight has a little bit of that going for it. Because I want to talk about deliverance. Okay, and often when we talk about deliverance in Christian circles, people go, the so-and-so was delivered. It's like, mm. it's, <laughs> it's become like this like, martial art of the Christian church, right? Deliverance is like, phew, it's hectic, we're hectic. Like stuff goes down, we're just deliverance. But actually, you know, 25% of Christ's ministry on earth was deliverance. Okay. Can't forget that we can't neglect this thing because ultimately it brings freedom. And I think, unfortunately, what's happened in the 70s, there was this whole 
bunch of movies like The Exorcist, which I've never seen, thankfully. Which are trash. Which are trash. And these movies are, show these mega demons and this poor little priest who's fighting the battle to try and win. Right, and that's not the picture that the Bible paints about deliverance. The Bible teaches a much more victorious, triumphant picture of what deliverance actually should look like and what it does look like. Okay, so I don't have much time to preach and I'm going to I'm try to work through as much as I can and get through as much as I possibly can on this topic of deliverance. If you do have questions, please come and speak to me. We can arrange something in the week. I'm always more than happy to talk about the finer details. So this is going to be a little bit broad stroke. But I want this to be something that becomes part of our conversation in the church. Okay, I don't want this to be something that is neglected and pushed to the side. Because deliverance is simply this. This is the definition of it. The action of being rescued or set free. Okay. The action of being rescued or set free. And I love it. And I want to talk us through a biblical account of what Jesus is doing, he's, he's delivering someone, and it's found in uh, Mark 1, 21 to 27. And I want to work through this passage a little bit. I want to pull some stuff out so we get context of what was happening at that time when Jesus was ministering. And I want to go a little bit more into what it means for us as a church. Okay, so Mark 1, 21 to 27 says this. Then Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum. And right away, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. The people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Suddenly a man with an unclean spirit cried out in the synagogue, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked the spirit. Be silent, he said. Come out of him. At this, the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions and came out with a loud shriek. It's quite action-packed, eh? <laughs> All the people were amazed and began to ask one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. It's a powerful piece of scripture. And one that you can just read and gloss over and go, okay, cool, well, Jesus did it. Let's get on to the next point. There's a few things I want to pull out from this passage. Firstly, the scene takes place in a synagogue. A Jewish synagogue where Christ has been invited to preach by the chief rabbi. Okay, so the setting is quite formal. If you've ever been into a synagogue, generally it's quite a quiet, formal Place. Okay. And into the scene comes Jesus as he's sharing. And as he's sharing, an unclean spirit starts to cry out. Now, I want to pause at this because I want to ask how we would respond to a similar situation today. What if during worship someone started shrieking and convulsing on the floor? What would our reaction be? I wonder. <laughs> you see, by all accounts, it feels like it's quite commonplace that these things happened in the synagogue. And early documents, early Jewish documents indicate that exorcisms or deliverances actually happened in the synagogue. 
And people weren't troubled. There's no, there's no thing saying people were stressed out when this guy started treating. People ran out of the synagogue not knowing what was happening. In fact, they just let Jesus address the thing and then were amazed at the authority that he displayed when this thing left. And we know that Jews actually practiced deliverance or exorcism. And there's a famous story in uh, Acts 19.13, the seven sons of Sceva. We all know that story, right? Those guys really got it wrong. And it goes like this. Now, they were, and the point I wanted to make is this. They, they were itinerant Jewish exorcists who tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those with evil spirits. They would say, I bind you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. Now, we know in that case that they tried this, and the result was that they got beaten up. One man decided to take on seven of them, and it didn't end well for them. This was part of their culture. Like they, kind of, they were familiar with it. But even though it was part of their culture, they were astonished by the authority that Jesus exercised over an unclean spirit. You get, even though it was a sense, a sense of this was something that happened in their culture, they'd never seen it done like this before. This was new. Something different was happening here. As we read the account again, suddenly a man with an unclean spirit cried out in the synagogue, What do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The Jews didn't know who Jesus was, but the demons did. <laughs> but Jesus rebuked the spirit. Be silent, he said. Come out of him. At this, the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsion and came out with a large shriek. You see, this authority that Jesus has, has this effect on the demon when he talks to it, because Jesus comes with a message of the coming of the kingdom. When Jesus comes, what does he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is coming. Right? That's his message. He's bringing the kingdom. And as he brings the kingdom, the natural thing is that one kingdom advances, the kingdom that's already there goes, I don't like this. This is not, this is not cool because we are here. And Jesus is going, no, your kingdom is about to end and my kingdom is coming. Okay, so there's naturally going to be a conflict between the demonic kingdom and the kingdom that Christ is bringing in the new covenant. And I love the reaction that happens because as this kingdom advances, then the demons are confronted, they know exactly who he is and they are terrified. Because the demon is saying to Jesus, have you come to destroy us? Some translations say, have you come to torment us? It's a good thing for a demon to say. Do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> I don't want demons tormenting anyone. They need to come to the realization that they are defeated. 
What do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Now, Jesus doesn't address the demonic in this scene. He just says to it, be silent, come out. Right? That's what he says. And in other accounts in Luke 5 with the demonic, we see that Jesus actually addresses them by name. It's a famous account. I'll talk about it now. It's an amazing story. The demoniac, when Jesus crosses over the lake just to go to that man, to minister to him, to set him free. And he says to the, he says to the demonic inside this person, Who are you? We all know the line, the line. My name is Legion, for we are many. But in this case, Jesus is direct. And with authority, he just says, Be silent. Don't reveal who I am yet. We often see Jesus not wanting to be revealed or what he is yet or who he is in the kingdom yet and come out of him. And the result is this. The demon screams, shrieks, causes the man to convulse on the floor before coming out. Now again, my question would be if we were in a meeting and I was preaching and someone started screaming and shrieking and convulsing on the floor, what would our reaction be? I mean, honestly, what would your reaction be? See, what I'm trying to say is this kind of thing should be commonplace in the church. And for some of you, you're going, no, 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 no. This is not commonplace in the church. But if Jesus is modeling it and 25% of his ministry is this, then why isn't it more common in the church? I don't think this should be a unique or strange thing to the Christian. And I do think we've let culture in some ways dictate what the things of God should look like. Okay. We, um, when we first launched this church a year ago, we had a meeting, very similar to the last gathering we had now with Andrew, last weekend. We had a similar, Andrew was here, and the hall was packed, worship was going off, I was standing on this side, and someone who I'd been walking a bit of a journey with, great guy, he's, he's, he's left the city, now he's another city, falls to the ground and starts screaming. I mean, this is a big guy. I mean, it, I'm quite big. I mean, uh, And he was big and strong. I mean, this guy was big and strong, like Michael. He was big and strong like Michael, seriously. Like he was like intimidatingly big. <laughs> and this guy is on the ground and he's screaming. And I'm like, oh my word. This is intense. Because if things get wild, I can't, control, I can't contain this guy. Literally, that, that was my first thought. I can't, I cannot contain this man. He, even if he's in a normal day, he will squash me like a bug. And now he's screaming on the floor. Anyway, so Jeff and I will go over to him. And you know Jeff Kidwell, Jeff's so calm. I'm just going to pray for you, brother. <laughs> Prays for him. You see peace comes over him. He's restored. He sits down. It's fine. Perfect. But as this man is on the floor, someone else is running out the hall. Going, I can't. What is going on? Literally running out the door. 
messaging me later going, this is the house of God. This stuff cannot happen here. This is, God is a God of order, not of chaos. I said, yes, 100%. I don't disagree with you. He is a God of order. But how do you explain what happened? Because I wasn't near him. No one was near him. No one touched him. If I'd walked up to him and started hyping the situation up, I was in the front hyping it up, going, we're going to see deliverances now. But it didn't do anything like that. It was just worship. I said, we sat, Craig, where's Craig? Craig and I had a two-hour coffee with this person, just trying to explain what happened. And I ended up just going, I wish I could tell you that I did anything, but I didn't. All I did was pray for him. Like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. And I think we won them back over um, to our point theologically. But uh, they didn't really come back to church. For them, that was a hard thing. And as much as I tried to win them back, it was a very hard thing to do. We try to fit the spiritual world into our model of thinking, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I wish we could. It would be great if church was just the same every week. Nothing special happened there. Eh? Wouldn't that be amazing? No. Right, good. I'm glad you're shaking your head. <laughs> <laughs> One more story. I went to, um, there's a guy called Stuart Greer. And he's quite a dude. He's like an American guy. But he's quite relaxed. I mean, you kind of get the vibe that like, these guys who operate in this ministry are like quite out there. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he actually just sat on the stage, I think, at one point. And he had a list of things. And it was the most insane thing. Because you, you go to this night and everyone's sitting in the hall. And he gets up there and he's like, hey, I just want to pray for a few things. I was like, okay, this is pretty chill. Like, it's not what I'm used to. I grew up in the Pentecostal church where things were a lot wilder. And he was so chill. And he just started saying, hey, I just feel there's something. And he would name something. Thorin was there. I think Thorin was like, what is going on? He would name something like, whatever, fear. And there'd be a bit of silence. And he'd name something like, I don't know, father wound, depression. <laughs> You're sitting in the hall, it's like, what? What's going on? And this person, and then someone's screaming, like, okay, right, okay, I think it's just got quite real. Okay, and then people start praying for them, and it's cool, and they get set free and delivered, and then, hey, it just keeps going, it's just going through a list. It's like, I feel this thing, and then, yes, he said this one thing, <laughs> and there was this woman in front of me, like, literally a row in front of me, because she was up at that tall. I didn't think she was, she was cool. And then the next minute, like, she just turns, like, throws all the seats from around her, and rugby tackles this guy. He was probably also the size of, like, Michael. This short little woman starts rugby tackling this guy, and just going, and I was like, wow, this thing's got a really intense. And then he prayed for her, and it was fine. Like, she was set free, and it was deliberate. And it was amazing, right? It was good, it was good to see. You see, the point of this is not for a show. It's not for a good story to go, hey, I went somewhere and I saw this and it was crazy. That's not the point. If it was, no, it's not the point. He said, the reason for this and for, for what Jesus does and what I believe that we are called to do is to do it in order to see people set free from things that have tormented them and bound them and held them for years. 
That is the whole point. And that's why I love the story of Mark 5. We spoke about it earlier. The, the demoniac who's on this island by himself. He lives in caves. Right? This is what the Bible says. He takes rocks and he bruises himself. He physically harms himself. He is so strong through this demon that he, he can't be held by chains. They keep going to try and bind him up and he keeps breaking the chains and running around like a crazy man in this island. So I think in the end they just let him be. They're like, you can stay on your island, bro. All good. We'll stay at this side. And Jesus, being Jesus, says, I feel like there's a guy on that island I need to go and see. And he gets in a boat. And if you read the accounts, he only gets in the boat to go see that guy. There's no other reason why he crosses that lake. Nothing. He gets there and the guy comes to him. And Jesus addresses him. He sets him free. And this is the best part of the story. Because in Mark 5.15, it says this. The same man who we these days would call stark, raving, mad. Out of his mind. Right? And we've all seen people like that. Out of his mind. Like, just gone. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there. Clothed in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. And they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with them. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. I love that line. Clothed in his right mind. This man who for years had been tormented by not one, but a legion of demons. I don't know how many a legion is. Does anyone know? Thousands. Thousands. Let's go. Yeah, thousands. It's Carolina. <laughs> how many is this? Do you know? Do you know? Okay, tell us. Oh, okay. I thought you knew. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can Google it and tell me. And he says this, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. Three to six thousand. One man was possessed by three to six thousand demons. Yo, that, that puts it all in perspective. And now we know why Jesus went to him. <laughs> now these stories shouldn't freak you out. In fact, what I want you to see is not the, the stories and the, the crazy things. It's more the freedom that comes after that. But there might be a process of getting to that. But ultimately, the goal of this is to set people free, to see people freed. So the question then is, is deliverance for today 
And can we all do it? <laughs> so let's ask the first question. Is deliverance for today? Yes. Okay. Most of us agree with that. <laughs> can anyone do it? Interesting, yeah? That's interesting. Bit of a mixed response. Okay. Anyone has any question? Question, yes, yes. Any question, yes. So I was talking to a captive audience. Okay. Because we do see Jesus when he commissions the disciples in Matthew 10, 8. He says this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse lepers, cast out demons, demons, the like is it? <laughs> and you go, well, that's the, that's the apostles. That's the disciples. That's the twelve. What about me? I'm not an apostle. I'm not a disciple. They walked with Jesus. Yes, I read something interesting. I'm going, this is a little sidebar. I read something so interesting the other day. The disciples walked with Jesus for three years and they knew him. And there's a scripture where, where Philip comes to Jesus and he asks him something. And Jesus says to him, Philip, do you not know me? Oh, when I read that, I was like, what? Like, Philip's like, Jesus is literally rebuking him, going, don't you know me? In fact, he could, he could have been saying, you don't know me. You say you do, but you don't. So the toilet, what I'm trying to say is the apostles weren't perfect. Okay, they got stuff wrong. But then you go, okay, well, those were the apostles. Those were the, the, the special guys. They were the, the twelve. When we go to Luke 10, you see Jesus commissioning and sending out the 72. It says this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he told them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, I do, do not rejoice in the spirits when the, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name are written in heaven. I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions. Now, that's not literal snakes and scorpions. Right? Even, even in that scripture, we need to think back to Genesis. Genesis 3.15. The Proto-Evangelion. The first form of the gospel. Where it talks about Christ crushing the head of the serpent. Right? Christ's victory over Satan. This was a vital part of Jesus' ministry on earth as the kingdom of God advanced. And it was ordinary for the demonic to react and to be exposed. So if we are advancing the kingdom today, this does not stand to reason that we should encounter the same things. To me, it would seem obvious. Now, can it be intimidating? I would say yes, can be. <laughs> I was intimidated when that guy, I was. I thank God that Jeff was there. <laughs> but we need to remember that it's not our own authority 
that we do these things, but by Christ's authority. Not by our power, but by the Spirit of God. If you want to do it by your own power and your own will, you're going to end up like the seven sons of Sceva, and they're going to be phoning me going, can you lift me to the hospital? Because I tried something really stupid. I'd be like, no, you can catch an Uber. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. I'm a good shepherd. <laughs> First, I would try to help you. <laughs> but yes, it is for today. I know this is a strange topic to preach on. Please, I don't want to lose anyone on this. I'm very aware. Okay, I don't want to lose anyone. But it's something that I think is a vital part of the church. And we need to talk about it. Okay, I'm not, I'm not here to freak anyone out. I don't want to tell you crazy stories. You go home scared. It's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is reassure you that Christ is bigger than anything else. And we have the authority in Christ to see people set free of the demonic. Okay. Next week we'll do prophecy and it'll be awesome. <laughs> prophecy is amazing. Um, We've actually got a team coming from outside of Luxembourg, which would be great. So, what does this look like for us as a church? What is the practical application of this? Do we now walk into the streets and start delivering everyone that we see and praying for them? Well, praying for them could be a good start. So I would encourage you to pray for people. Yes. But I do think that we should exercise a certain amount of discernment when it comes to these things. So, uh, I have three safeties, three safety valves, three safety checks. First is this, that when you are praying for someone, and again, I'd say this. When we get together to pray for someone, I'm not going in there going, now we're going to pray for deliverance. No, we're going to pray for deliverance. Okay, if, I, if, if someone comes to me and they feel like they want to be prayed for, I'm just like, hey, let's pray for you. Let's just pray. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to leave that place encouraged and built up in the Lord. Fantastic. Best case scenario number two is that, hey, God highlights something and we pray into that thing and you're set free. So it's a win-win situation, actually. Okay. So safety one is safety in a sanctuary. I would say if you're going to get together and pray for someone, if someone comes to you and said, hey, I feel like I need to pray for something, will you pray for me? I would encourage you to pray in a home of a believer or somewhere where you feel comfortable and where uh, you can provide safety for the person who's being prayed for and the people who are praying. Okay, have it in your home. Don't go to the beachfront and say, okay, we're going to pray for you now and see what happens. Secondly, I'd say safety in numbers. Jesus sent out the 72, two by two. Okay, not one by one. And I think we can do the same. If someone wants to pray for something, get together two or three of you and pray for them. Okay, encourage them. Pray, see what happens. Ask God. But do it in twos and threes. I think that's the best way to do it. And I'd say this. It's also good... To have someone with you who has been in a situation like that before. Who maybe has a little bit of experience in just praying for someone and asking God for that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and then thirdly, safety in submission. When we pray for someone, it's always only ever by the power of Jesus Christ. 
We are always submitted under Christ. As I said before, trying to confront anything like that on your own strength will only lead to the lessons learned by the seven sons of Sceva. Now, that is a very broad overview, and I hope you're encouraged by that. But let me say this. I've got a few end notes. This is a big one. Not everything is demonic. Not everything is demonic. Let me say this. Before praying, you should should consider things like mental illness and mental health. Okay. There might be a valid reason why someone is feeling the way they are. And those need to be investigated. Okay, so normally when we pray for someone, we'd give you a form, you'd fill it out to come back to us. I'm just being honest. And we go, okay, cool. So I think we can pray for these areas in your life. Let's do that. And let's see what happens. Okay. Um. Might be a valid reason why the person is feeling they are. And I think there can be a tendency to think that every issue is demonic and everything we face is from the enemy. Okay, Stuart Greer said, again, has a joke. He says, There isn't a demon behind every bush, just every second one. Okay, that's a little bit naughty. (laughs) But let me say this Uh, deliverance or prayer for someone could also be and might help be helpful if it's complemented by counseling and accountability. Okay, and let me say this, and this, I always say this to people, maybe I shouldn't, but I, I get into trouble. It's not always a silver bullet. Sometimes people are just like, just pray for me and I'll be fine, it'll all be gone. It might be, but you might need to walk it out as well. Okay, it's not always just a, okay, sometimes you need to also submit and go, okay, God. What are you doing in this process to me and through what's happening? Amen. Good. <laughs> and it could look different for different people. There's no set formula. For some it might look like oppression from the outside, harassment. And for others, a word like possession might be better as it comes from the inside. And I know I'm opening a massive can of worms. Because the debate about whether it's oppression or possession is a huge one on the internet. Massive. It all comes from the Greek word, which actually, actually the best translation of that word is demonize. And, and proving scripturally either way is going to be tricky. But let me say this, and this is, let me just address this actually. This is a big question. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Okay, so you okay, that was quite easy. Okay, so let me say this purely anecdotally from my experience I have seen Christians who have had demonic possession but not fully possessed by that thing. Okay, 
I'm just giving you my two cents. You still don't use it. Okay. Jules, what are your thoughts? Okay, it's real. Jules is saying it's real. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can also tell you my personal journey, but I won't. <laughs> I can only, I'm preaching this because I have been delivered, so there you go. And you know what, I think it's quite a normal part of the Christian life, and that's what I'm saying. Okay, so Ephesians 6.12 says this. And this is something we need to remember. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's a good reminder. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in the externals of what's happening in the real world, we forget that there's the spiritual world. And our battle is not against that person who offended me, it's against the rulers, against the authorities and the powers of the dark age. That is my brief overview of the lyrics. I could do a lot more, but um, I think that's enough. And as I said, often what this looks like is someone will come and say, hey, I need, I need prayer. Because I'm not, I feel like I'm not getting victory in a certain area. Maybe you're struggling with things like depression. I'm not saying all depression is demonic. Maybe you're struggling with a sin that you just cannot beat. Maybe you're struggling with irrational fear. Anxiety. Sometimes, I'm not saying, just hear me. Sometimes, not all the time, these things can be things that are present. And we can pray into that. And we've all seen, time and time again, people set free from things. And it's an amazing thing, because you see someone come into a prayer meeting, anxious, uptight, no peace, and they leave that meeting Just like peace. And you know something's happened, right? You know it. And there's nothing we did, but my eloquent words. <laughs> so some of you here might be sitting and wondering, do I need prayer? Do I need to go for prayer? Well, let me say this. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. Worst case, absolutely worst. Believe they just pumped on Jesus. Because you've got a prophetic word for the person praying for you. You're like, yes, I'm so amped. Jesus is so good. The end result is always freedom and peace. And that is what we offer. That is what I want for all of you. That is the whole reason we pray for you. That is the end. That is what we want. Freedom and peace, not a show. Really, I love what Jesus says to that demon. Be quiet. Come out. He's like, I'm not interested in entertaining you, bro. Whatever. And that's the way we should do this all. So let me say this. If you do feel like you need prayer, speak to an elder, myself. Speak to a deacon. There's Julian. There's Matt and Robin. There's Chantel. There's Craig. There's Deirdre. And just be honest and say, hey, I think I need prayer. 
There's no shame at all. And I hope I've explained enough to go that there's no fear, but only a joyful expectation of what God will do. Because ultimately, He is victorious. And I think what the devil has done is he's used all these movies to elevate the demonic to this thing that is scary, when actually it's not. It's not scary. Because who's scared of a defeated foe? He gives up token resistance and then has to leave at the end of the day. <laughs> they might put on a bit of a show. But I don't care about that. I hope this opened a door for more conversation and freedom in this church. Because that is my goal. Maybe no one comes forward for prayer. And maybe people do. Maybe in the week you reach out to us and we pray for you. And things happen. And that's incredible. But I, I pray that this preach would give you enough freedom to speak to people and go, Hey, I feel like I need prayer. Can you pray for me? And to, and to take away any kind of the, the shame or the feeling inadequate or anything. Just go, it's a normal thing for brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for one another. And I'm preaching to myself, as Heike would know. And I'll be honest, I am the last person to ask people to pray for me. <laughs> and this week, I went to Juliet. I was like, bro, I need, I need to speak to you. Please pray for me. Okay. There's me being vulnerable. I went to a deacon in our church and said, Bro, I'm not feeling so good this week. Can you pray for me? I need to be encouraged. I need to share with you what's happening in my life. I'm not this mega elder who floats on a cloud that's got it all figured out. <laughs> Just ask my wife. If you ever think I do, she'll put you straight. <laughs> okay. I wanna, I'm going to finish it there. Let me pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for your church, Father God. Thank you for a group of believers who can come together and worship you. But thank you that you've knitted us and built us into a family. That we are your body. And Father God, that as a body and as a family, we can come together and we can pray for one another. And God, in your word, you say that um, where your spirit is, there is freedom. And God, we pray that if there are people here tonight who are not experiencing freedom in areas of their lives, that they would have the boldness and the courage to ask for prayer. God, I pray that even in community groups on Wednesday, people would raise their hand and go, please pray for me. I need freedom in a certain area of my life. Well, I need Jesus to do something in a certain area. I feel like something is holding me back. God, I pray that this would be a church and a community where that is commonplace. And God, we would bear one another's burdens, just as the scriptures tell us to do, Father God. That there wouldn't be anyone who's carrying an illegitimate burden on their own, Father God. God, I pray that we'd be a church that would repent when we need to repent. And we come forward to you in repentance and ask you, God, to heal us where we need to be healed. And as such, God, we would walk as a people who walk truly in the freedom that you have died for and won for us, Father God. We wouldn't just be people who talk about this freedom, but we live in this freedom. We live in the light as you are in the light. I pray for that in Jesus' name, Father God. But I pray this topic of deliverance wouldn't be something that's spoken of in hushed tones, Father God. 
but it would be something that we speak of freely and we'd rejoice in the fact that we can, we can be delivered of things, God. We can walk in freedom, God. And when new people come into the church, we can explain to them what it is and pray for them, Father God. Oh, we pray for that in Jesus' name, Father. We thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you that your Holy Spirit was here tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you were here, God. Yeah, thank you that you were with us. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, Jules, do you feel anything? No. Okay. Yeah, I've been yeah. quite long, so I'm going to yeah. stop now. Okay, cool. That's awesome.